Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. Your hosts are Andrew Douglas, Managing Principal, FCW Lawyers, and Karen Liu, Principal Consultant, Found Consulting. All right. Welcome along, Karen. We might try and get the crew to quieten down a bit. We're now live, guys. So we've got a live audience for the first time of doing the Friday Workplace Briefing. So welcome to everyone who's here in the room and everyone who's at home or at work listening to us. Yes. Exciting day. Exciting day to do our first, and this is our last one for the year. Yes. For the people in the room, there is a different QR code system to visit to do the polling today, okay? So there'll be a really sneaky problem today. Like, this is the hardest problem for the year, and I've actually included the name Svengali in it, just because I know Karen can't say it. There'll also be a survey at the end, which I've explained to people here before. We've got a number of modules we're going to do for you as a training, a half-hour training, like we do on a Friday workplace, but so that you who listen to us can take them away and use them for your staff. It'll set up a series of questions for you, a poll, but we'll give you the answers separately so you can go and take it to your staff and try it out with them, okay? So look, let's get into it today. What we're talking about today is our projections for 2022. Probably the the major thing that's going to change next year is, as the borders reopen, and they are reopening despite the most recent strain, it's going to have a really dramatic effect on employment in Australia. For those of you who use pallets and boxes to import and export, you've all experienced that, haven't you? The cost has gone up four times what it was before. There's huge delays. They'll continue for up to two years. But what we're seeing with employees is we've lost, at some levels, in agriculture and hospitality, unskilled workers. Through meat, meat processes, food industries, we've lost semi-skilled workers. And at the professional services, financial industries level, and at senior operational level, we've lost highly skilled workers. And that means we have some real scarcity of labour at the moment. But what does that mean as we open up? And remember, that labour is going to take two years to fill up as well, just like the boxes, just like the pallets. Well, it goes straight to capability, doesn't it? So have we analysed the capability we need? And why I say that is all clever businesses have shrunk back to core so they know exactly what they, they need and they understand that their businesses won't continue to grow in a nice, even pace, that it will be disrupted. So they're going to look at how they manage labour through partnerships, through casual, through labour hire, through contractor. How do they manage disruption and volatility? But that's something you've got to plan. You can't just hope for happenstance, oh, I'll just ring up a labour hire, because try and do that at the moment. So most of our meat industries are 20% down on labour. They are simply unable to get the labour they need to produce what they need. Don't worry about the $50 million worth of meat they've got sitting in a frozen dock waiting to get a box to take it away. These are really dramatic impacts on the business that you've got. You can't do it unless you plan. Business design, as I've said, continues to look at, and we keep seeing how conservative the advice is getting from our accounting firms that come, assumes this gradual growth. Now, that's just not true. Look at the people in the room, how you've managed through COVID. All of you have gone, well, this is what we used to do. This is what we're going to have to do. But build it into your business design. And the core element of that is, what are the people I need to make that work? Because machines don't go to sleep at night and wake up with a headache. People do. Machines don't get brighter. They don't get dumber. People do. So unless that core group are highly performing, are flexible, and have multiple capabilities, your business is going to die. 
Because when the borders open up, the other thing that's going to happen is these sort of soft industry in the moment, we're working very well in Australia because we don't have any competition at the moment. When the borders open up, people are going to be looking for competition externally. Large businesses with lots of assets who've been unable to use them, they're going to attack our businesses at every level. So you are going to have to be much more competitive in 2022 than you were in 2021 and 2020. So I thought I'd just explain what we see, and we're certainly seeing it through our client. We've got to get out of this cultural slumber. It's been enough being angry. I was chatting to Peter before. Enough being angry, enough fighting all the time and saying, God, this is hard. We haven't seen hard yet. Hard is the next two or three years in business, okay? That means a real focus on people. Karen? Yeah, I think, Andrew, the next uh, year, really, we can, I guess we can put aside this year, the last year, and in terms of we can either react to that or actually focus on our readiness. So in terms of, like you said, on the capability, but really thinking very deliberately and thoughtfully designing what is it that, not so much by jobs and titles or anything, but what is the capability we need? What is it we're trying to do? And then from that, determining exactly what our resourcing needs to look like and not be, I guess, narrow-minded in terms of, okay, so like you said, let's just call up labour hire and we'll get, you know, this type of labour. Because I can tell you all the labour hire organisations I'm speaking to at the moment are struggling terribly to be able to secure labour, okay? And we're seeing it in our day-to-day lives, even just being able to go to a restaurant, Andrew, restaurants not being able to open properly because they can't get staff. So it's affecting our lives. But go back to we have to focus the energy that we have. We have this opportunity now The only advantage we're going to get business-wise, organisationally, is people. And I think if we're going to be putting our energy into anything, it's really with the borders, what risk does that create for us? But what opportunities does that create for us also? And what is it that we're going to do, particularly from a HR and safety standpoint, in terms of really capitalising on that? And it is. What we're trying to do is instead of keep people focused, which is usually two people in an organisation, we need to actually drill that down and say, okay, what is our core service delivery? How are we going to manage in a disrupted environment? How are we going to skill that group of core people, support them, get behind them and enable them? That's the question for 2022. All right, let's jump to the next issue, which is the future of unions. I just want to give you some background. At the moment, union membership for people under 40 is incredibly low. Outside of government and key industries like the CFMEU, it is diminishing at an incredibly high speed and most unions are losing money and living off assets. Why is that happening? Well, they're just not relevant to a whole group of people anymore because they're still prosecuting a line that's 10, 20, and 30 years of age. But they exist because we fail. Now, I don't want you to think for a second. I believe in unions. I think they're a necessary thing in our life that prevents bad behaviour. But we should be engaging our people. We shouldn't be waiting on someone to come and tell us you didn't pay somebody correctly. If COVID has taught us nothing, it's taught us how to engage. And if you juxtapose how Australia has behaved to its employees compared to America, you see a dramatic difference. The levels of engagement in Australia are extraordinarily high compared to America where you were seeing, as we spoke about last week, the great resignation. We're not actually seeing that in Australia. We've actually seen a much tighter bond during this time as employers have extended themselves beyond federal government and state government assistance. That is a fantastic springboard into what we need to do in the future. But I want to say this is the time to dig deep into personal engagement with our employees. This is the time to render unions irrelevant to your site. Really highlights or reveals in terms of your lack of engagement of what's actually going on and what's upsetting people. So I think 
my suggestion for the year would be that really have a think about, and this is a great topic um, with your HR, your IR team, to, or your workplace team together, including safety as well, because unions get involved in that space too, is what are your current and uh, your potential grievance sources that create an opportunity for unions to organise and industrialise, right? Because that's what they're looking for. And Karen, we do this in the last three enterprise agreements. We've deliberately polled 12 months in advance, Yep. sometimes six, depending on how quickly we get in. What are the things that are driving people crazy? And then we go out and we fix them and we engage people in the fix. And so when the union come along, everyone's actually engaged in fixing stuff. And there is no grievance besides wage, which is the primary driver in union environment. But we make agreements cost neutral in this way because we can win back productivity gains because we've been listening and talking to people. Yep. So we can provide the benefit to an employee, but we can make the agreement neutral. You can only do that if you engage with people and fix the stuff that's so easy to fix. Fix Toilet all- doors that are broken and crap, the stuff that we've dealt with in the last 12 months in enterprise agreement, so much of it's just housekeeping. Oh, it is. And this is, they're symptomatic of a much deeper issue, Andrew. And the issue is you don't care about us. You don't understand what's affecting us. You don't understand what we're annoyed about. And you, you don't listen and you don't do anything about it. Now, they're on the, on the surface things. What the issue underneath it is about is about the relationship. Yep. So invest in that and do that genuinely, all right? Because don't, oh, we'll just fix something and make it go away. It's, you either have a relationship, it's either getting better with your people or it's not. Yeah. Okay, let's go to number three. Okay. I guess for the people in the safety land, the nice days are gone. A year and a half of the safety regulators being engrossed in COVID, occasionally doing sort of mild slaps on the wrist for people not having their QR codes up, all that sort of soft safety, it's over. We're starting to once again see regulators, particularly in Victoria and New South Wales, starting to happen in Queensland and will happen pretty shortly in South Australia because they're quite an aggressive um, regulator, really pick up around major hazard issues such as forklifts, the usual types of things. But it's very quick. It's been in the last two months. In the new year, we're going to see a rash of prosecutions. We're going to see a lot of a lot of visits, a lot of focus on traffic management particularly, which has been the major focus we've seen, Karen. So I guess just as a warning, it started again, okay? COVID stopped. Prosecution process is going to start again. There is a vigorous process both in EPA, so in the Environmental Protection Group, are now very vigorous around environment and we're seeing it particularly the safety regulators in the eastern seaboard. So that's really just a quick comment just to remind you those nice days, those cosy days of the last two years where we never saw the regulator, that's over. So for me on this part, after two years of really being thrown off with COVID now entering the agenda and pretty much dominating that space, Andrew, I think for us all, it's about going back and saying, look, what does our safety plan look like for 2022? How is it that that those things that uh, are they still relevant in terms of those, you know, what we're focusing on? Do our priorities reflect the critical risks that we have for our current workplace and work environment? And I say that not just in terms of the traditional or work environment that was two years ago, Andrew. We've now got remote, you know, hybrid work settings as well. Those work settings are real. They create different risks that do need to be managed accordingly. Uh, the other part that's starting to show its head is mental health risk and prosecution. Uh-huh. Again, we've seen Victoria with two fairly recently. We do know that working from home, and I know I've told you this statistics before, which is you have an, an immediate uplift in activity in the first month of working from home. After that, you have a gradual decline of people working fully from home. But you get, a, after the first month, a dramatic uplift in mental health claims that come from the sense of isolation, the lack of a, 
a membrane that sits between you and home life, all those things that gradually get eroded by working from home. Mm-hmm. So Karen prepared for you a long time ago a risk assessment for people working flexibly and from home. Please dust it off. Go back. And the very first thing you do in the new year is look at your flexible work practices. Are they working? Are they genuinely working? What does genuinely working look like? And then renew the risk assessment. Now, remember the cases we talked about, like Hall's case, where a woman was killed by her husband because they were both working at home. And it was a workers' comp claim that was successful as a dependency claim. There are very real risks when people work at home. Some of them are the people they live with. For all of you have had kids, working at home with kids is incredibly hard work, okay? The levels of stress around that are enormous. So can you please remember to go back and do those risk assessments? During the last two years, a lot of you will have done some amendments to plant, traffic plans, a whole range of things, but not renewed the risk assessment that goes with it, as is required under safety legislation. Can you just step back, have a think and say, what is the assessment process I must do, then work on an order of priority and do it, and engage people for all the reasons of everything we've said here today, engage them in that safety process. It is the way you win hearts, and it's real, and it is compassionate, and it's what you're meant to be as an employer. Let's jump on to the problem. Okay, let's go. I'm ready for this. All right, let's go. <laughs> I've had a lot of fun drafting this, by the way. I put about eight fun. words in it that Karen can't Yeah, say. no, I can hear your wicked laughter in the next room. Anyway, so Sven Gali was a plant <laughs> supervisor at Electronic Energy Liquids. Eel. I don't like eel, so by the way, anyway. <laughs> Generating electricity through natural gas-powered turbine generators. Sam, who worked for Sven Gali, was the union delegate on site and the health and safety rep. Sam didn't like Sven Gali. You know, you have to keep saying that, right? <laughs> he mimicked his limp. His left leg was shorter than his right, joking he could only walk in circles. He also undermined his directions with jokes, showing little interest in his work. Sam regularly confronted Svengali about his failure to follow policies and procedures, and Svengali repeatedly explained that sometimes the old policies and procedures didn't meet the current risk. Svengali would often run collaborative risk assessments with the relevant team to create new processes relying on the change obligations under the OHS Act and policies and procedures. He would then submit the new process to the safety manager as an improved procedure, a safety operating procedure. Okay, procedure. Sorry, that was a full stop. Ruth, the safety manager, was the source of Sam's complaint, saying that Bengali is in breach of safety law and a risk to his workers. Ruth started life on the floor and only had a certificate for in safety whilst Bengali was an engineer and trained in plant safety as part of his mechanical engineering degree. Sam and Ruth complained to management using examples of where Sam has not complied with policies and procedures. It's actually meant to be where Svengali has not complied. Okay, right. That's my fault, by the way. Just just put the hand up. (laughs) Accountability, major value for us. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. (laughs) But failed to disclose what Svengali did. Svengali is dragged into a discipline meeting where he is confronted by his boss, Gerald, who asked him to explain his breaches in an aggressive tone. When Svengali fell silent and cried, he struggled with managing conflict. Gerald suspended him on pay whilst the decision was made. Svengali went home distressed and hurt. He received an email later in the day terminating his employment without notice for serious misconduct. Sam was ebullient. Ebullient! Oh, God damn it. I left it to the end. No, just, he, just, he just held his breath. I, could, anyway. I was going to highlight it just to see. Out of 10, how do we score that? 
Carrying out his act as an employee under the safety legislation defining a safety risk and doing, doing a consultation process required under safety law. So there was no valid reason for terminating. It's not that he didn't follow policies and procedures. They were no longer correct given the change in the workplace and therefore there wasn't a valid reason. So we don't get to harsh, unjust or unreasonable. So... Svengali, in this case, was definitely terminated unlawfully. Secondly, the process was deeply flawed, wasn't it? Okay. The reason I put this in is one of the things we see repeatedly coming through in unfair dismissals is the failure to identify the vulnerability of the person who you're having the conversation with around discipline. When a person starts crying and closes down, you don't just stop it and go, well, bad luck, it's all over, champ. <laughs> See you in your next job you actually provide them some room and some time and support so they can respond and you remind them how important it is and that we will give you time. Remember, you can stop a meeting at any time, give people a chance. Your anxiety to get it over and done with will be, let's get to the end of this because it's killing me, I hate doing it. But remember, always give the person you are disciplining the opportunity to fully and properly respond. So this would have failed on procedural fairness. So it would, it would have been harsh. It was unjust in that it was lawfully wrong. So if we got past valid... And it wasn't reasonable in the manner in which it was done. So it fails at all four hurdles for unfair dismissal. Let's have a go at question two. This is very exciting. I've not done it this way before. That's because I missed the practice run yesterday because I was too self-important. <laughs> was Sam's behaviour condoned by Gerald throughout the last year and Gerald's like on Facebook, discrimination by Sam, Gerald and Eel under Victorian discrimination law? Good question, isn't it? It's hard, isn't it, because there's three different people. You've just got to assume they're all the same. This is a really hard, by the way, can I just say this is an incredibly hard question because you've got to identify what the attribute is first. All right, can we have the results? Here we go. So can I say you're absolutely right? Victorian law is the only law that has physical appearance as a protected attribute, okay? So describing someone by their weight, by what they look like, by shortness of a leg or anything like that is a protected attribute in Victoria in no other state but not in federal jurisdiction. It's a disgrace, really, isn't it? Can I just say to you, we're seeing at the moment, and I won't rail too much because Peter's warned me off once today, but it is a disgrace that our discrimination law is gradually being worked backwards by the governments as they try and take away the protections that exist. And we'll see this more over the next 10 years, okay? But Victoria were right in 2004 when they made these changes. And this was in relation to a woman who was a very large woman who worked on a train and she was sacked because in real terms they said she couldn't work on the train because she's too big. She was sacked because they didn't like the look of her. And as a result of that, the legislation changed. Fantastic change to legislation. So, yes, Svengali had a protected attribute. Yes, Sam regularly breached that. Yes, Gerald, by condoning it and accepting it, breached it. And therefore, under Section 102, there was no vicarious liability protection and so the organisation is liable because they clearly breached something they weren't meant to do. Does that make sense? Okay, 
Good. All right, let's go to question three. Was Sam's behaviour serious misconduct in reporting Svengali to Gerald? Difficult, isn't it? Because he did report a truth, but not all of it. So this is a hard question again, isn't it? I'm sorry, but this is meant to be the, 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 the nasty quiz of the year, so it's to, it's to test how well we've done. All right, well, let's go and see the result on this one. Really strong suggestion, though. The answer is if I intentionally report something and I report only half a truth and the other part of the truth is essential, it is serious misconduct. So omission, as well as act, is serious misconduct, okay? So if Karen says... Andrew is always late to work and doesn't say, and he's got a very sick child, he has to take the hospital every morning, and you act upon the knowledge you have. Now, remember, they fail in the investigative process here too. I acknowledge that. But this was done with an intention to harm. What Sam did, and this is what makes it serious misconduct, is it was intentional. Remember under Regulation 7, where you intentionally and willfully, deliberately and willfully do something with the intention of harming someone, it is serious misconduct, okay? Serious misconduct, okay? Very good. Next one. Here's a good question. Okay, now remember under, the, under all safety legislation there's a discrimination provision that says that if somebody raises a safety-related issue, is pushing a safety-related matter, doing anything in relation to safety, and they're treated adversely as a result of that, there's individual fines of around about $50,000 and about $250,000 fines for an organisation. Okay, so that's just the background to this. So was Ruth in breach of safety discrimination law in a treatment of Svengali? All right, we're starting to run close to time, so I think we might actually get the results up. Here we go. Yes, it was. The reason is, is what Svengali was doing, and he mightn't have done it articulately, is he was saying there's been a change here, I've got an obligation to reassess, the policies and procedures aren't right. He mightn't have been following it in the way he ought to have done it, but he was trying to do the right thing. Her method of treating him discriminated against him trying to do the right thing. Remember the Patrick Stevedore's case? We talked about the lift, lifting a bundle of things and we said, you know, the, the union shop steward said, look, that seems dangerous to me. They did a, a contrived method of risk assessment said, oh, no, he's wrong. The court said, actually, whether he's right or wrong is not the issue. He's actually trying to do the right thing in terms of safety. And your risk assessment's not that flash. They got a $180,000 fine against them. That was around about six or seven years ago. I want you to keep remembering that about safety. This is an underutilised provision. There's only been two prosecutions in Australia in 2021 on this issue. There'll be a lot more in the future as unions industrialise around safety. Next question. Was Fingali right in his manner of dealing with anachronistic? I, did, I was going to get Karen to read that out, actually. <laughs> but, I thought, <laughs> but she seems a bit burnt, actually. <laughs> Policies and procedures that dealt with turbine generators before they'd been updated. Okay, so did he do the right thing? All right, let's see the results. Yes, isn't it? Do you see as we go through this how much more intuitive it becomes? And it's much easier to answer the questions as we go through, isn't it? Because he was trying to do the right thing because he recognised. I want you to think about this. Every time I change the way somebody works, I'm changing a manner of work. Every time I alter a piece of plant and equipment, every time I change a traffic management process, all those times require under the safety law you to do a risk assessment, a collaborative risk assessment of the people involved to determine what is the correct process, okay? Now, he was a bit ham-fisted in it, but he was dealing with Ruth and Sam, who were really difficult people. What he was trying to do was get the best result, and he was following the law generally. So, yes, he was. I think this is the last question. Is that right, Safe? 
By the way, you know, now know who Sophie is, who's our production manager. She won't wear the earphones and stand there counting us down and go like this to get applause, but she is. <laughs> now, was Ruth guilty of serious misconduct? Remember Ruth's role in all of this? She's the one who helped start the claims against him. But there's bigger issues with Ruth, isn't it, because she's in charge of the policies and procedures. Much bigger issues with Ruth. Okay. Yeah, her big serious misconduct was sitting idle while her policies and procedures became obsolete. She exposed people to terrible risk. Her behaviour towards Fengali was shocking, but the, seri the major serious misconduct was her failure to adjust the safety system to the needs of the people around them. Now, that's a big warning for all our supervisors, managers and people in safety out there, isn't there? If you're dealing with an issue of risk, changes occur and you do nothing about it, it is unquestionably serious misconduct. Again, Regulation 7 says where you do something which has the effect of causing imminent risk or harm, it's serious misconduct, okay? I think that's the questions in itself. So now we're going to do one last survey. And I'm looking at Sophie who's got eyes like pinpoint people saying, if you don't get this right, you are dead because <laughs> I nearly always forget to do this. So have a look through here and tick, is that right? Tick the ones that you'd like us to do. And we'll do six next year, okay? And they'll come to you in a usable form so that you can train people around you. And it's also a survey. Do you want to actually participate, Soph? <laughs> it's also, for those people on Zoom, I think I need to shout louder for them. It's also on yours, so please answer them. It is really important to us because we'll invest a lot of resource in doing a great job for you with this because Kim's in charge of resources. Okay, now... Next year, while you're doing that, just let me chat to you. We're going onto a new platform which will provide much clearer Friday workplace briefing. We've got a, we've got some huge fiber optic cable coming into our office now, which means that we're pretty quick. So we're providing a platform that's a lot better for you and allows us to provide a better service. Please share what we've done with you today with other people. We'd love you to do that. We, at the moment, can I just say we average around about 150 people who come and listen to us every week, even though lockdown's shut which makes Karen and I feel really good. We were at a restaurant having dinner and we had our, we were our first groupie experience. <laughs> and for the, and, and he for the, was very uh, <laughs> I didn't think they'd recognise me. But <laughs> You're pretty hard to miss, Andrew. Just yeah, I was on my third bottle of wine. But it has been an incredible success for us as a business in the sense that we've really been able to connect when we couldn't connect. And it's been even more lovely afterwards because it provides a level of intimacy when we come around to see you where people now can ask about things that we've done and talked about and it makes it a lot easier for us as well. So please share it with people. If we can grow and build this as a community, it means we get better ideas from people every day because most of the things we do come from you. The reason we focus on casing it's from you. It's done just, very organically. So yeah. we actually review it week to week. And if Andrew, I've also just a shout out to our um, the people who do watch us, uh, the videos as well, um, who aren't able to join us live, and also for those who we have a, a podcast following too. We have a podcast. Um, following. I know that the I session, never thought it would happen. I know, I know we're, we're not optimised for that as such, but look, um, we there's people who enjoy it and consume it in different ways, and the support we've received throughout the year last has been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. So and can I you. just? I know we're not meant to be thanking everyone, but. I do want to actually thank all our staff. It takes about 20 hours of labour to put these together from all the different people who do the analysis, from all the work Soph puts yep. together as well. It is quite a thing to do and it's been, I think, one of the most collegiate and fun things we've done as a group. Do you agree, Kim? 
And the lovely part is for us, it allows us every week to sit down and think what are the most important things happening in workplace as a group and talk about it. So it's been terrific for us. So although I hope we're providing content and ideas for you, for us as a group, it's been bonding and a really thoroughly enjoyable thing. And it's 81 today, are we? Yeah, I think it's 80. It's close to, it's close to my age. So there we go. It's good. <laughs> so, Karen, especially you, thanks very much. And that's it for this week. Thank you, everyone. Cheers. Uh, bye. Thank <laughs> you.